0: is Control Structure, episode 56 for March 10th, 2014. A big week to everyone out there listening. This show does have show notes if you're not listening to it on the website. Uh, visit the CS56, or rather, the slash CS56 to see them. So, uh, hey Stephen, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I feel a little bit retro today. Because this is episode 56, you know, like all those modems back in the day.
1: Yes, it's you, 56K. You, you're old enough to remember dial up, right? Oh, yes. I used to connect every evening up to the internet and dial out on the phone and uh, hog the internet line for the next two hours, or hog the phone line rather yeah. for the next two hours. <laughs> once, uh, once my dad went to a deacon's meeting at his church and one of the ones there said uh, hey I tried to call you this week but the phone was busy and another one popped up and said yeah I tried to call you as well and the phone was busy and a third one popped up and said yeah I tried to call as well and the phone was busy guess what?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wonder why yes hey uh, speaking about memorable numbers you can check out Fringe number 200 Uh, that's the, uh, the show before and after the show Uh, we should probably do something special for that. I, uh, I guess I'll have to write some simulated dialogue and throw in some Daft Punk or something and make, uh, you know, like a mashup or rather an artistic impression of the fringe. On the fringe. (laughs) So, um, yeah, how's, uh, your week
1: been? Well, it's just starting, but it's. Well, the past week. Oh, the past week or or the weekend anyway. The um, w- weekend was fairly well. This morning was kind of kind of tiring. You you wake up there after the time changes like it's not time to wake up yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, wake up. I've been waking up at about seven o'clock in the morning for I'm not sure how many years, and I can always tell when the clocks change because it's suddenly dark. Afterwards. Yes. It happens both when you spring forward and when you uh, fall back. It happens every time. Um, so, yes. Um, let's see. It wasn't this past weekend, but it was the weekend before that I uh, went over to Ohio and went to a comedy show, uh, Christopher Titus, over in Columbus. And uh, did a lot of shopping. I uh got some uh, pretty nice coats, two pretty nice coats for like wicked sick like 50% clearance. So so yes, yeah. I
1: you were shopping for co- coats the other day, you said.
0: Yeah. So and uh yeah, it's uh, great to not have great to have a winter coat that's not falling apart and the elastic is not showing anywhere.
1: And now you have snow on Wednesday, so you get to try it out.
0: Well, I uh, I've been trying it out, you know, pretty much since I got it, and it is pretty warm. It has it's it's filled with down. Oh, that would be warm. So, uh, anyways, um, have you ever uh, wanted to uh, write something and uh, wanted to know if it was easily
1: read? Uh, I normally just know that anything I write isn't easy to read. <laughs> that is a good uh, <laughs> that is a good mantra to live by. But uh, I, I always had trouble with pa- papers in college. None, none of the teachers like what I write.
0: <laughs> so um, there's this app, uh, this online app called Hemingway. Uh, it tries to make your writing better, clearer, and more concise by pointing out what's wrong with it. So um, at first. I thought that it hated me because I apparently litter my writing with too many adverbs. I didn't know that they were hated like that. Uh So I shoved some noted programmers' blog posts into Hemingway, and it seems it might just be a plague among programmers <laughs> in general. Or it conspires against this wonderful, colorful world that has been brought to us in part by adverbs.
1: <laughs> so but It does look very handy, though, for just like a pre... Overall, look at your paper, like if you're writing a paper for school or something, that it looks like a really nice, cause of the way it catches a run on sentences or highlight them. I thought it was pretty neat, a pretty neat app.
0: So, and, uh, you know, it checks for adverbs, of course, and passive voice, and it tries to look for sentences that are hard to read, and, uh, words or phrases that could be simpler. And, uh, you know, it gives a sort of readability grade level score, which, uh, is pretty interesting because, uh, I remember playing with it, you know, back when I originally saw it like a week or two ago. And I noticed that, you know, it, it sort of was weird that two sentences were harder to read than about five or so. So I'm not sure what's going on or if they fix that. So, But uh, you've heard of Microsoft having a new CEO, right?
1: Uh, no, I hadn't actually knew who was there since Bill Gates left.
0: So when Bill Gates left like six years ago, it uh, went to uh, Steve Ballmer. And okay. uh, remember that uh, one fat Microsoft guy that... Uh, Scream, developers, developers, developers. I don't remember that guy. Uh, Well, apparently Steve Ballmer did something like that, you know, back, I don't know, 15 years ago. But, uh, so they uh, kicked that guy out, and it was just earlier this year that they uh, got a new CEO, Satya Nadella. And uh, he is uh, Indian, if you couldn't tell from the name. And a... (laughs) Indian journalist muses why uh, Indians only become great once they've left India. So he uh, sort of goes on a little ways. But uh, the uh, short takeaway is uh, Indian culture is designed to keep people out and not to get them in.
1: I thought a good example it gave was of this cell phones and how Said because of terrorists blowing things up with cell phones, the government puts restrictions on cell phones when you buy them to make sure that the terrorist doesn't buy a cell phone when even if it may not do anything, it's just a fear the government's like, I've done something, and whether it's actually did anything or not, so it has useless restrictions and hoops you have to jump through.
0: Yeah, so uh, some other points he gives. Uh, The system encourages talkers rather than doers. uh, Risk-avoiders rather than risk-takers. They are unable to tolerate success, which is sort of weird. Uh, But they celebrate mediocrity rather than excellence, which I'm sure is a problem amongst people of all nationalities.
1: Yeah. I wonder if the the culture itself is more... I I was thinking of the... uh... That being more mediocre opposed to being a certain person standing out being good, I wonder if the culture itself is kind of like how the Asian cultures they say are more community based and it's like your your company is almost like your family, and it's like uh you have a lot more loyalty to a company just and it's less focused on the individual right so uh how about
0: when we talk about Kickstarter for a while so Uh, a week ago, Kickstarter. Okay, yeah, I'm there.
1: Okay. It looks, it
0: looks like you got kicked off.
1: (laughs) Turn off video. Is your video on? Uh, hang on. Okay.
0: There. There we
1: go. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened. there. my machine actually showed that it, like, you know, the Windows task bar. It showed that it didn't have internet for a second there. Yeah, so I don't know what happened exactly. So, uh,
0: let's see, let's go ahead and uh take a step back there. So, uh, let's talk about Kickstarter for a while. So, about a week ago, Kickstarter passed one billion dollars in pledges. Uh, that, uh, that's coming from about five point seven million people to pretty much all their projects that have been uh, gone through Kickstarter. And, you know, they make a nice, uh, rich, sort of interactive web page with pretty animations everywhere. So they, you know, display maps and, uh, you know, tally out, uh, uh, you know, how should I say, uh, backers by country and all that. And, uh, you know, especially, I love the comparison of, you know, how much a billion dollars is.
1: I was looking for the website there. What is it? What does it have, the map? It just goes to a main page for me, and it doesn't have... Huh. Well, uh, scroll, uh, just scroll oh, down a little bit. Right, that was my problem,
0: Ha. Huh? <laughs> yeah, these days you gotta scroll.
1: So. Really they can't just put it all at the top of the page <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's
1: it's not a uh
0: a powerpoint here, but uh yeah, like I was saying, I really like the uh uh like the comparisons of what a billion dollars is, and they give one instagram the company, which is the official unit oh <laughs> which, which which is the official uh uh how should I say unit of measure for large uh, quantities of money. On this podcast, so,
1: Wednesdays are the biggest day of the week for the pledges. That's interesting. Yeah,
0: it's uh, you know pretty interesting there, in that you know the weekends are the lowest. So, and uh, apparently the about the thirteenth of the month is you know usually when uh, you know more comes in, which is odd. You'd think it'd be more towards the beginning rather than the end or the middle. Shall we talk about Raspberry. 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 So, uh, what's been going on with Raspberry?
1: So, they've uh, released open source drivers for the Video Core 4, uh, but they are targeted for the BCM21553SOC which is not the same as the Pi uses, which the Pi uses the BCM2835 SOC, which is I think the chip, the video chip that the Pi runs on. Uh, And
0: and by, you're talking about the uh, drivers being released, this is Broadcom, like the actual
1: uh, company that makes the uh, the CPU, GPU thing. So the question is, why didn't they release the Oh, well, I guess we can get to what's happening. So, so the the Pi Foundation they're offering a bounty of ten thousand dollars for the first person that can port the drivers over uh, to the other chip, to the Pi's chip and run Quake Three at a play, playable frame rate.
0: So, which is uh, pretty awesome. Uh, you know, the uh, one of the publicly bantered features of the Raspberry Pi is that it uh, is able to uh, decode and apparently encode H.264 video, or at least has the hardware capabilities to do so, Um, but it hasn't exactly been exposed too well. So, you know, hopefully this will solve that problem.
1: Yes. No, no, what I was going to say a second ago was, I I was just, the thought struck me, why was it that the the other cell phone chip the drivers were released for that, but the company wouldn't release the drivers for this particular chip.
0: Um, I think they just noticed it, and they're like, hey, this is the same GPU as the Pi. Um, as for why they didn't just have it open source from the beginning, I'm pretty sure that's because this is like the cheapest chip that they could find, probably.
1: Ah, that's probably true. So that wasn't something that they were looking for. Then it was just get a pie into every kid's hands.
0: Yep. So you know, for uh, you know, thirty-five or even twenty-five dollars, depending on the model, you can't really uh, splurge too much.
1: I'm trying to figure out the comments at the end of the article. It says, "Okay, so sue us. We launched February 29th." Then it says, "asterisk asterisk don't sue us." <laughs> I wonder what that's about. Um. Uh, Oh, the asterisks in the article. I have to find the asterisks in the
0: article. Up up at the top, uh, two years ago today, the Raspberry Pi Model B went on sale, selling 100,000 units the first day. Uh, Since then, over 2.5 million have uh, been shipped. Okay,
1: so it wasn't wasn't exactly two years ago today. That's what the asterisks are about. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So... um, yeah maybe with improved graphics drivers, I could uh you know uh, you know go to church and use it for that TV up
1: front so did it did it not work before when you tried it on the TV? Was it jerky or um, well, it's what what powers it now
0: is like a ten year old laptop and you know I sort of uh see I remember actually bringing that uh, you know that uh, powerPoint home and running it on the pi and it literally performed no better. Okay. So, you know, hopefully with uh, you know, improved graphics drivers that might solve that problem a little bit. Yeah. And so that was running as a as a PowerPoint uh in the uh LibreOffice uh okay. impress stuff.
1: Yeah. That's why I was wondering what what software you you would use there.
0: So, And uh, that's probably not exactly that well optimized.
1: LibreOffice is a pretty big application, really. Yep. General. You have all that, like the JavaScript and stuff doesn't work all that great on the Pi. There's still things it's not so great at. So, uh, it's a good step.
0: It is. So, uh, speaking about graphics drivers and stuff, let's talk about graphics APIs, or rather, multimedia APIs in general. In the form of DirectX. Uh, DirectX 12 will be revealed at the Games Developer Conference uh, pretty soon. It should be the next major update to the API seen since 2009. And that's uh, when the last, you know, uh, DirectX 11 came out. And the interesting thing is on the, uh, the page, the teaser page that they have here, is that, you know, it shows, you know, the logos for AMD, Intel, and NVIDIA. But also for the uh, CPU that the Gadget Show so loves, the Qualcomm Snapdragon.
1: So you need to enlighten me, why do they love the Snapdragon?
0: Um, Pretty much because, uh, like all the other guys in this network, got uh, Nexus 7 tablets, like the first gen. Uh-huh. And you know after using them for a while they realized that it was slow so they hated the uh the cpu inside of there which is the nvidia tegra 3 and you know whereas their uh their phones uh performed pretty nicely and they realized that there are snapdragons in those
1: aha uh-huh, i see
0: or so i would like the story to be <laughs> as 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 it appears from what a thousand miles away so, but, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. So, maybe this means that, uh, like the next Surface RT will have a Snapdragon in it?
1: Ah, could be.
0: So, they, uh, uh Microsoft is apparently taking f- the frustrations that resulted in Mantle into account. I uh, remember that, uh, Mantle thing? Yes, I
1: do remember Mantle where they were taking, uh... I forget which it was, was it Nevada that they were? Uh, uh, AMD. AMD, okay. we are making a driver for AMD that was closer to the hardware. That way it could be faster.
0: Yeah. So, and that's uh, resulted in, you know, since, you know, GPUs are getting faster and faster and faster, the uh, the graphics commands that get thrown at them execute faster. So the overhead in actually making a call, a graphics call period, sort of means quite a bit. Uh, That's the API overhead. Uh, I've heard that OpenGL does have less overhead than Direct3D, and from all accounts, they do exactly the same thing, more or less. Uh, So with Valve pushing high-performance graphics on Linux, OpenGL's overhead should be getting smaller
1: still. That's interesting. Is that... The Linux is with steam on Linux now and then the uh, steam OS that's really gonna put a lot of pressure on that like you said yeah so so has the no the steam OS did come out I just didn't download it and use it have you have you used it yet any uh no although I have installed steam on linux yeah i I've done that as well on the Linux I haven't actually seen the OS so I, it It's pretty much a Linux distribution that fires up Steam in big picture mode. Do you know, do they use Debian? Was that the base of it?
0: I think they use Debian as a base. Okay. And, of course, you know, if there's any haters listening on this podcast, they'll probably chime in,
1: no, 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 it's a lot more
0: than that. Uh, But from a user standpoint, that's pretty much how it works. (laughs) So, um, let's... uh, go a little bit further and talk about another uh, graphics API. Uh, How about WebGL? You know, in the, uh, you know, in browsers and stuff. Apparently you can do a a terrain rendering with a full-blown level of detail engine. And I found a post pretty much going over this. So, you know, have you ever played a game where there's a lot of terrain? Like yes. in an, like in an open world, uh, like maybe World of Tanks.
1: Yes, World of Tanks. I'm sure we use an engine. So,
0: stuff. so the uh, the idea is that uh, <clears throat> is that you know terrain that's really far away uh, doesn't need to be rendered with the same level of detail as terrain closer to you, so it appears to have the same uh,
1: detail and same quality everywhere. But it just isn 't actually doing it because you can 't actually see that detail because it 's far away, yeah, um, at least you can 't really
0: see it that effectively and uh, uh, and to save on processing power you know rather than you know you know, you know rendering a billion triangles that oc- occupy maybe two inches of your screen uh, that could be you know borrowed and used for other things like you know trees on that terrain, for instance, yes. Uh, so it's uh, basically a resource management type of deal. So apparently you can uh, do that, and it pays off pretty well in uh, WebGL since it runs on JavaScript. So and I like the uh, uh, like these sort of squares. I think it's like the second image on here where it has the magenta uh, circle of squares and the yellow and the blue and stuff. Yes. And you know although. It's like, okay, it seems that, you know, the the magenta ones are much bigger than the green ones. It's like, why are you doing this? Well, let's imagine if you're right in the middle of that green. And then the next image, it shows, you know, that same thing, but, you know, sort of like on the ground, if you will. Yeah. So, you know, that sort of, you know, tells you, oh, you can, you know, render less detail because they take up, you know, almost the same area of the screen.
1: Yeah, it, it makes more sense when you see from that perspective that it is your, what's close to you, you expect it to be bigger.
0: Yeah. So, and then he also goes over the, uh, like the, uh, methods for sort of morphing the, uh, terrain. Uh, because if you, you know, render the far away terrain with fewer vertices, so it's less smooth, mm-hmm. when you pop it to the, uh, like a, a higher level of detail than like you get nasty things like seams and if you're if you look close enough you can actually see the thing pop into uh you know like actually you know okay. visually i uh, i've seen games do that before the pop suddenly is like
1: well yep, you can see better now
0: <laughs> yeah um but this is actually on the terrain itself yes so i believe that's called geomorphing so uh have you ever wondered what browser you're using
1: no, I normally know exactly
0: what browser I'm using. Well, that's a good good idea. You know, like a good thing to just know off the top of your head. But what if you're talking to, say, your grandma, and she has no idea of what anything is?
1: <clears throat> In that case, she probably doesn't know. You ask her, are you using the big blue E, I-E? <laughs> <laughs> or the
0: multicolored circle. Yes. So... Uh, You can uh tell, you know, if you're, you know, on the phone with someone, you can tell them to go to what'smybrowser.org, and it will tell them everything, pretty
1: much. The thing I liked about the site is it also has a uh, link there that they can copy, and they could send it to you, and then you could go and look at the link and be like, hey, this is... Then you can see exactly what they have without having to trust them to say the right thing. So... But if you're if we're
0: talking about computer illiterate people, that might be kind of difficult to do.
1: Well, I mean, copy and paste is kind of difficult for some people, but <laughs> you so, can walk them through it. At least they save you half the uh, trouble
0: by actually having a button copy.
1: That is true. It does. So There's so. a copy. So then you just ha- have to teach them how to paste. Yeah, so you're, you're right, half the battles there. <laughs> so
0: uh, speaking about browsers, I uh, remember Mozilla.
1: You know, yes, the I'm, people uh, behind Firefox. Yeah, the 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 one word not awesome bar. <laughs> <laughs> so uh,
0: they've uh, they do all sorts of research and stuff, and they've noticed that uh, JPEGs aren't exactly compressed too well. And they've, you know, asked around and, uh, you know, they've asked people who are, you know, familiar with image encoding if uh JPEGs have reached their maximum efficiency, and apparently they haven't. Um, and th- uh, Mozilla would rather not make a next-generation image format that would not be supported by anyone for several years, which, by the way, those do exist. Uh, there are two of them, in fact. So instead, Mozilla has decided to squeeze more efficiency out of the existing JPEG algorithm and uh, decoders. Uh, They are calling their library MozJPEG. And this is sort of similar uh, to the idea behind Zopfli, uh, an offline deflate compression algorithm, which I've talked about a few times on my podcast and on my blog. Uh, In fact, I use it uh, quite a bit uh, surrounding my blog anyway uh but this is something totally different. Uh we were talking about JPEG a lossy compression. And I was sort of looking uh uh for something like this for a long time. Uh you know because you know being on the web you want to you know make every byte that gets transmitted count. Yep. So um yeah I would really like to uh, check this out uh once it improves. And it's a good thing that I saved all the raw, big images for my blog. Or or at least most of them after like the first year or so.
1: so the thing that I've been trying to think through about this is it's through changing how it's being compressed, but how it's being decompressed is still the same algorithm. Uh, so I was trying to envision how they might be doing it. Somehow it must have some language that is dynamic enough that they can describe a different more compressed version of the image and it's still understood. Yeah. I, I haven't done much with image compression. So I really really don't know how image compression works though. Could be my problem. So, um have you ever played
0: around with GIMP? Yes. So if you uh, go and export an image from GIMP and you choose JPEG and you go into the all the advanced options, there's a neat slider. You can go from 0 to 100 uh, compression quality and you can sort of like live preview all of your settings. Like once you do a change, it, you know, updates everything and gives you a nice That's... file size. Um, and there's also, you know, you can also optimize for uh, color representation. So... You know, if you've ever uh, looked at a JPEG that's, you know, not exactly uh, that uh, high quality, you can see the red especially bleed over into everything. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not sure why it's just red. Like, red apparently likes to bleed everywhere in digital images.
1: (laughs) It's never blue or green, it's always red. That is true, because I used to have a digital camera that was, uh, now it's like 10 years old. That that was a thing on the corners of like if you took a skyline picture of something uh, and the object that was on the skyline around the edges, you get like this purple tinge there coming around on the edges. I wonder if that has to do with that. But what what I was going for, the compression, I've seen before like in in camp where how you can change the compression. I was just.
0: But uh, this will go a little bit deeper than that. It'll actually improve the quality of that encoding. So, and the idea is to, you know, make standard JPEGs that would be viewable by everyone. So,
1: um, the, the interesting thing is they named their project, you know, Moe's JPEG, but really the web browser isn't going to change and won't use their algorithm. It's just going to be the so, program that encodes it for the. So, in other
0: words, I could load up. A JPEG that comes out of this and fired up on 20th century back here with IE5. Yes. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's a better JPEG. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, let's go on and talk about, uh, another thing on the web like fonts. Um, let's see, it was a little while back that Intel released a font called Clear Sans. I tried it on my blog, but it's a travesty uh, for font sizes that are useful for body text. Uh, But, you know, if it gets a little bit better, you know, maybe I might try to look at it again. So, So
1: why do you think that they decided to release another font? I mean, it seems like we have hundreds of thousands of fonts out there. If you wanted to, to use why another font? Well, because I guess you can never have too many.
0: Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, sure, there's, you know, billion fonts out there, but, you know, we still need really, really good ones. You know, I think we will always need really, really good fonts. So, um, uh, I'm not sure if they responded to this uh, with Adobe, but uh, about a year ago, Adobe released uh, an open source font called uh, Source Sans, so um you know I've I've taken a look at this and uh you know it's okay, but I liked other fonts better. So but hey, someone else might like it. So uh moving ahead, like way ahead into the future, uh you remember Sony?
1: Yes, I do remember Sony.
0: Uh the a company that makes all those uh,
1: PlayStations and uh, uh, media formats. That, and I can't help but remember how once they released music CD with viruses on it. <laughs> That's the thing that always comes to my mind when I think of Sony. <laughs> um,
0: I think that might actually be a different branch of the company, really? though. Oh, oh, a different branch, yeah. Ooh. So, uh, Sony and Panasonic have announced their archival disc, um, I remember mentioning this uh, several months ago. Uh, this is a new optical disc format that should be released as a 300 gig format in two, in uh, 2015, uh, with capacities anticipated to eventually be or exceed one terabyte. So, and uh, you know, they pretty much explained the roadmap and the capacities, and also revealed a rather swirly and pointy
1: logo. So do you suppose this is going to kick off another format war? Uh, I doubt it, since
0: I do not know of a direct competitor to this, like there was for Blu-ray and HD-DVD. I believe this is more uh, targeted towards professional applications, so like movie studios and TV stations or something. Uh, whereas uh, as opposed to a you know mass
1: uh, consumer market format, that's true. They do call it an archival disc, so they're trying to replace tape drives, I guess.
0: Uh, something like that. Yeah.
1: Now the interesting question is, it's an optical disc, and if you're using to archive data, presumably to keep it safe for extended periods of time, typically most writable well, at least current technology, like with DVDs, the dyes and stuff in their for writable discs fade over time. True.
0: But, uh, you know, sometimes they last a few years. And, That's you know, again, they want to target, you know, sort of professional uses so they can spend gobs of money to, you know, make really good discs that will hold the data for a long time. That's true. So... Have you ever had any of your electronics stolen?
1: I had a calculator in college that I left on a table. Half a day later, I came back, and it was gone. My favorite calculator. Um,
0: Was it a pocket tech calculator or more of a scientific
1: one? It was a scientific one that could like do graphing and everything. It was like a $90 calculator. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, Peter here is a serial
0: entrepreneur. It means that he's started uh, uh, several companies. He uh, had a several month long trip in Southeast Asia and he came back three months ago to his parents' house in the Netherlands only to have his stuff stolen a few days later. So um, he has a few, uh, you know, he tells a story and what he did and he also uh, has a few tips, you know, some advice. Uh, namely, services to locate your stuff are pretty useless. uh, Because if the uh, thieves know anything about technology, they, you know, tend to not connect it up once they, uh, have it. Uh, another piece of advice, encrypt your drive. And, uh, uh, store backups away from the device that it backs up. Uh, in his case, he had a, uh, MacBook on a coffee table downstairs in the living room and he had an external backup drive like on the side of the couch so you know he uh, you know he was uh, pretty thankful that you know he still had that drive uh, but you know being near inches away you know you don't really want to take uh, you don't really want to take risks like that
1: yes <clears throat> There's kind of some interesting stuff in there that you don't think about because you don't normally... You think, well, you take your laptop to a coffee shop or something and you get up and go to the restroom and you come back and it's gone. Something like that. Yeah. Like in your home, that trying to protect against someone stealing your stuff in your home and your data is an entirely different uh thought process, which in that sense, this is where cloud-based storage looks a lot better At least as far as keeping it so you can access it, it doesn't help you as far as encrypting it, but as far as accessing it, cloud storage would make it nice in that sense. Right. And, uh, you know, he does say use online backups and try to keep
0: your stuff near you. (laughs) So, uh, but that's, you know, sort of, you know, keep your stuff near you, but uh, still keep your backup away from your main computer. Yes. So, and probably also encrypt your backups.
1: And the the, the advice of keeping your backup away from your computer it could make sense too, in the sense of what if you had a house fire or or know, a flood? flood or, yeah, yeah a flood something like that. If it's right next to your computer, it's yeah, then it's not going to do so well. Yeah. In fact, uh, my
0: backup or one of my backups is uh, hundred and fifty miles away. Hi, mom. How are you doing? <laughs> So hey uh Windows XP will be killed off pretty soon. Uh-huh. So so yeah, what's what is a Microsoft to do?
1: Remember the day when they killed Windows ninety eight. I still haven't gotten over that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I got over it and I went back. <laughs> yes. So so I yeah I think that's when I went to Linux. <laughs> so yeah uh Windows XP will be killed off pretty soon so Microsoft has decided to give them give XP users yet another pop up this one telling them that hey we're going to be uh discontinuing support so yeah ironically XP users probably have a billion pop ups by now <laughs> and you know how users are they don't really read things no. <laughs> so I'm not sure if this message will actually get across to most of them. So, and, uh, you know, that I believe that uh, this past Tuesday or this next Tuesday or something will be the last patch Tuesday.
1: be interesting to see one of those charts of how many people are on the internet that still use XP. I um, saw that once. I'm trying to think of a website that would do that.
0: I think Ars Technica does that here. Um, although they did that at the beginning of the month. So yeah, I believe the uh, current uh percentage is uh like around thirty percent or so. Whoa.
1: That's yeah, way more than I thought. Yeah. Now W three schools has a statistics page. They're saying for January Windows XP was at eleven percent. Unfortunately Win Linux was at four point nine percent. Windows 7 rules at 55%, which makes sense.
0: Uh let's see. How about net market share? How about there? So apparently according to real-time statistics, uh Windows XP has 29.53%.
1: Real-time statistics. Wow. <laughs> so that means if if I am uh, power off my computer, you should see that the the Windows 7 percentage go down just a tiny bit, right? <laughs> In theory. But it really
0: won't, you really won't see it until everyone with Windows 7 turns off their computers.
1: This one's even lower for Linux 1.48%. Huh.
0: So, yeah. Uh, since this may be the uh, last time that I have a podcast before this happens, I just want to say goodbye, XP. <laughs> And now Linux, uh, the Linux uh, Foundation is teaming up with EdX, a uh, online course platform, and is uh, now making its formerly two thousand four hundred dollar Linux course. They're doing that for free now. Wow! And it looks it looks like they might also be doing uh, some more intro to Linux or Linux based classes. It looks
1: like worth checking out. So yeah, I probably will be uh doing this at some point. If it if they were charging that much money for it before it was free, you figure it's got to be a good a good course. Oh yeah.
0: So um I I have no idea what exactly this covers, but it's an introduction to Linux, so it must be uh pretty heavy. So and it's, you know, sort of official since it's from the Linux Foundation. Yeah, so that sh- that should uh, at least uh, give some of the haters a little bit of a pause. It's like, oh, that's not right. What are you doing?
1: I wonder if there's a summary page someplace on their site that shows like the basic course objectives.
0: I think I came across that somewhere, although I'm not sure where it's linked there. So. Hey, uh, speaking about Linux, you'd probably be using some command line stuff. Uh, Most definitely. <laughs> uh, so, here's a list of some less commonly used commands. A few of these I already know. So, I'm not sure exactly how uh, how a uh, a command is less used. Uh, because I see a df in here. Uh, that's... Oh. That shows you uh, like how much of your disks are uh, used and free. And du as well for disk usage. I use both df and du quite a bit. So, and then further on down, there's sudo bang bang, which is uh, repeat the last command with sudo.
1: Ah, uh, see, I I I heard that one before, but I've never used it. I, I recognize it now that you say it. I've yes. never used that. In fact, that was a title of a former
0: episode of this podcast. I believe that was the one when I was in Nashville. Or, not Nashville, Knoxville.
1: This wget, I use it all the time. I couldn't live without wget. Oh, that yeah. Download stuff from the command line. That is
0: so useful. In fact, it is so useful, I uh, used it in my download script
1: uh, for the Nexus. Ah, You See, that one there, I disagree that that one's not a used... Vim, really? Well, I mean, like, I use V-I, but the shortcut for Vim, I don't see why you wouldn't... Everyone uses V-I, because that's installed in all the Linux boxes. Although,
0: you know, for, you know, just editing stuff on the command line, just use nano. You will stab yourself much less.
1: Hmm... I learned Vi though, so I, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I actually installed it as a plugin in Visual Studio, so I use Vi at work now. Oh, you're <laughs> one of those people. Yes, yeah, one of those <laughs> pe- one of those people who can put the cursor on a on a uh, uh curly brace and find the other matching curly brace in a second. Because um, there's a command for it, you, sh- and it jumps right down to that other curly brace. It's really nice, among a lot of other things. Anyways, ot oh, there's Ts listed as well you send your output to standard out and to a file at the same time. That's used a lot in batch scripts. Mm-hmm. BC, an interactive calculator language. Never heard of that one. You know, even though I sort of use Linux,
0: I'm not exactly familiar with, you know, like really involved command line voodoo.
1: But... It's... DD is listed as well. That That's one that... Oh, yeah. pretty standard, I thought. yeah. Um, Dangerous, but standard.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, see, I'm not exactly sure what the official uh, abbreviation that's for,
1: but uh, coll- colloquially that is Disk Destroyer. I've heard that abbreviation before. I just always I always remember, you know, you just put your, your I as your input and your O is your output. And as yep. long as you keep I and O, right,
0: you're in good shape. <laughs> so uh along with it not being a, a standard GNU uh uh package thing it it doesn't use uh, those conventions so anyways uh and now let's talk about copyright for a moment so rock paper shotgun posted an editorial about how long copyrights for games should last it amazingly applies to so many other copyrightable things as well in our post Apple world, so uh, did you have anything to uh, discuss about this? Uh,
1: yeah, I I I didn't read the full article, but I got the 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 sense of it there. The but the old video games that kind of are off the scene now, but no one has. I I really do think that it would be good for, I don't know what you'd measure it by, whether it be by time or maybe by if the company is making money off of a game. I think at some point in time, games should come into the open domain for everyone to use because there's a lot of good games out there from, like, 20 years ago that no one has access to because they aren't
0: allowed. Well, there's, you know, the factor of it being out of print, uh, which means that, you know, like, copies of this game are not sold anywhere Or at least they're no longer being made. You can't exactly buy them. Yes. And then there's the uh, really uh, sad uh, fate of a lot of games in that you literally can no longer play this because, you know, there are no systems or the systems that they played on are now so obscure they might as well be lost. So, and, uh, you know, it's already happening now. Even in games made in the last ten years uh apparently Bioshock, if you play it on Windows seven, you'd no longer have sound with it. You have to go in and put it into x p mode huh now granted that's you know not a difficult jump, but huh? it, you can start to see the decay a little bit there so and you know uh not only you know huge uh piles of DOS games. Uh, which are actually, ironically, back being sold now, thanks to uh, GOG and Steam. Uh, but, you know, also, you know, like, really old uh, NES games. You know, they're not exactly making NESes anymore.
1: You said Steam is selling DOS games now?
0: Yeah. You can, I can not heard that. You can buy the original Doom on Steam. Whoa. That's nice. So... Along with like all the uh, other Commander Keen games, so yeah. Um, so, but uh, the uh, the point that this uh, journalist is trying to make is, you know, like uh, like the cost analysis and the fact that you know, like every other piece of art, if game is ever if games are ever going to be considered art, they're gonna have to fall into other art, you know conventions uh like falling into the public domain uh the bad part is is that current laws are something like uh the copyright term is the life of the artist plus 70 years or something um uh which you know all which is literally an eternity literally a forever in the uh you know when we're talking about computer based stuff here
1: yes You have the thing, like you mentioned earlier, you already have some gaming systems that are so obsolete and you can't find them that you can't play some games. So you figure the 70 years from now after the guy who wrote it's dead. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, the idea behind
0: copyright is to give financial incentive to artists to create more. Um, You're not exactly going to incentivize a dead guy to create more things.
1: No nope.
0: so but uh, you know you know it's it's very rare for someone to you know create something and just have them be set for life. I mean, you know that uh, that's only for a very, very very small minority of people, even among artists, you know because they're always creating things. you know if they're always creating things, that's their job and that's their livelihood. So if they stop doing that, they should, you know, if I stop programming, if I leave my company, I stop being paid. So it should probably follow that with artists.
1: Yeah, I I think that makes sense. I mean, you you need the protection there, but the problem with some of the games is it's a company and the company might live as a company possibly for a long time. So, So it almost would make sense if, there's some limit of like...
0: Although although I think for company or corporate uh, works of art, I think it's just uh, 90 years. It might be 70. Okay. But still, that's a really
1: long time. Still a long time. See, it almost needs adapted for software just because software moves so fast, at least for the moment. I mean, it could be 20, 30 years from now. Maybe software doesn't move as fast. Maybe there's some other aspect of computer science that has a greater focus. Right. Likely software will remain what it is and it will be a fast paced industry. And as such, things just plain go out of date. And I I think I think it makes sense that there would would be a shorter time limit on software
0: Um, or, you know, just copyrights in general, because, you know, it's not just, you know, software that we're talking about. We're also talking about music and videos and stuff in that, you know, this is a very important topic you know for the internet at large i'm not against copyright as an idea i think you know it's a legitimate thing mm-hmm. you know if you do something you should be paid for it yes uh, but the current implementation is bad and you know the uh, the internet has really exacerbated these uh, these problems and you know it's it hasn't been too long in human history that we've had the internet so you know it's, you know, a hundred years ago, the common person really didn't have the ability to freely send, you know, huge things to someone on the other side of the world in a very short period of time. You know, this has only been around for a few decades. So, you know, that sort of has a cultural effect of, you know, pretty much amplifying and stimulating everything.
1: That is true. makes a distribution so much easier
0: so if if uh, p- the people choose to use it, um, unfortunately, you know, big media companies have not really embraced the internet like it could be embraced. Uh, something to think about there. And now let's talk about some CPUs. So uh, recently I've been, I guess it's been over the past two months or so that I've been uh, on my blog, I've been sort of uh, looking at a... Uh, CPU architecture and sort of describing it, uh, registers in particular. I've uh, found an article that goes over some of the design topics of modern CPUs. Uh, for instance, bigger cores versus smaller cores, but more of them. Uh, instruction pipelining, parallelism, and a whole bunch of other things. And it sort of you know gives the uh, gives some points behind uh, you know my uh, blog series. You know it sort of goes over. You know, how instructions are, you know, decoded and processed in a CPU and how, you know, sort sort of uh, like the beginning and ends can be uh, done in sequence or in parallel, rather. And it also, uh, you know, talks about several uh, CPU architectures in general, like specifically, and how they are designed. So, rather they, uh you know, sort of want to divide everything up and go faster, or they want to, you know, uh push a lot of data or instructions into the CPU core and not go as fast, or rather not have a higher clock rate. And this is a very long, like, 90-minute read or something.
1: <laughs> it is a big ar- article, but it, it does have a lot of good stuff. I was, I was skimming through, as so I had section about branch uh, prediction in there, and... and uh I was always kind of interested in the idea of the way that it was being pipelined through the process where you don't know what your next, your next instruction is going to do when you do a branch. So it's like you do both branches or I think what, I think one, one, uh, way I've read about is you do both of the next instructions. You like preload them in the CPU at the same time. Or the other way is like if you've been looping through a loop X number of times, it's a good assumption that you're probably going to loop through that loop again. Mm hmm. And you're probably going to hit the same if
0: statements, you know, as you did last time. Yes. So, and it also, you know, goes over uh, SIMD operations.
1: SIMD. What is uh, that? I don't recognize that.
0: Single instruction multiple data. Like, if you ever heard about SSE, uh, I don't like an Intel Intel processors, SSE. Um, I guess I guess you really haven't read my uh, blog post though, but. Um, like, the thing of it is it uh, operates on vectors. So, like, you have an array and you want to add it into this other array. Like, that can be okay. a single instruction. So, like, you can take the first element and add both the first elements, take the second element, add both of those, and so forth. And that That's... can
1: be encoded as one instruction. So, th- so it's one instruction to add all the both the arrays together at once? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, and a whole bunch of other things. It compares uh like a core i7 sandy bridge to a ultra spark cpu and you know sort of compares you know larger cores versus really smaller cores um if you're interested in you know how CPUs are you know do stuff it's definitely a well worth your time
1: yeah that that looks like a very good article
0: so um Let's see, this happened just today at South by Southwest. Edward Snowden, the, uh, the guy that uh, leaked the NSA documents, he appeared at South by Southwest over Google+. Plus. And, uh, you know, they had some, uh, you know, uh, had some points there. But, um, you know, I, uh, I read the uh, uh, sort of like the uh, summary of that. Uh, and then I watched a little bit of the video, but the audio there is just terrible.
1: So, so what was uh the the place where he 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 showed up at what was the significance of him showing up at this place
0: Um this is kind of like the first sort of at public interview that he's given Okay So um you know of course he's probably somewhere in Moscow when he did that and uh, South by Southwest is in Austin down in Texas
1: Oh, so he did a remote uh, interview. Of course, if, <laughs>
0: if if he came to the U.S., they'd probably arrest his out. butt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He might uh, have a a free vacation to Guantanamo Bay. Yep. Are you sort of familiar with all the different programming languages?
1: Uh, yes.
0: So. Uh, someone wrote up a uh, a very hilarious and very wrong history of some important
1: languages. So, uh, would you like to read some? Yes, I I, I like the 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 top one I I found entertaining. It says 1801, Joseph Marie Jacquard uses punch cards to instruct a loom to weave "Hello World" into a tapestry. The editors of the time are not impressed due to the lack of tal, call, recursion, concurrency, or proper capitalization.
0: Um, Let's see, uh, going to a little bit more modern. Uh, 1991, Dutch programmer Guido van Rossum travels to Argentina for a mysterious operation. He returns with a large cranial scar, invents Python, and is declared dictator for life by legions of followers and announces to the world that there is only one way to do it, Poland becomes nervous. (laughs) A little bit further down, uh, 1995, Brendan Eich reads up on every mistake ever made in designing a programming languages, uh, invents a few more, and creates LiveScript. Later, in an effort to cash in on the popularity of Java, the language is renamed JavaScript. Later still, in an effort to cash in on the popularity of skin diseases, the language is renamed ECMAScript. (laughs) <laughs> um, Along those lines 1996 James Gosling invents Java Java is a relatively verbose Garbage collected, class based Statically typed, single dispatched uh, Object oriented language With sim- single implementation And multiple interface inheritance Sun loudly heralds Java's novelty And you see the next one there? <laughs> Let me guess it's the C sharp Yeah Uh two thousand one. Anders Anders Helsberg invents C sharp. C sharp is a relatively verbose, garbage collected, class based, statically typed, single dispatch, object oriented language with single implementation inheritance and multiple interface inheritance. Microsoft loudly heralds C sharp's novelty.
1: Of course, it's it's totally new. No one ever did this before. So I'm I'm go going back up to the the nineteen forties again. This is various computers are programmed using direct wiring and switches. Engineers do this in order to avoid the tabs versus spaces debate.
0: Uh let's see. Uh 1972, Dennis Ritchie invents a powerful gun that shoots both forward and backward simultaneously. Not satisfied with the number of deaths and permanent maimings from the invention, he invents C and Unix. Uh, let's see, uh, further down here. Uh, 1995. At a neighborhood Italian restaurant, Rasmus Lerdorf realizes his plate of spaghetti is an excellent model for understanding the World Wide Web, and the applications should mimic their medium. On the back of a napkin, he designs Programmable Hyperlinked Pasta, PHP. The, doc- <laughs> the official documentation remains on that napkin to this day. And there's all sorts of uh, interesting, you know, stories about languages here. Uh, do you have any, uh, appreciate, deprecate things?
1: Well, no, that, it's, that, it's, it's, a,
0: it's, it's okay if you don't.
1: I'll go with Firefox again. You can not have a colon in something you type into the so-called awesome bar. Cause it thinks it's a web address, hmm. but it's not. So. So <laughs> <laughs> Firefox fixes it. <laughs> So,
0: uh, my, uh, appreciate for this week is SpeakIt. Uh, this is a text-to-speech plugin for Chrome. Yes, I apparently use Chrome at some points. And this is, uh, in honor of the Gadget Show reading my post on their fringe. I will now class my post up using a UK English voice.
1: Remember when Apple was moving away from PowerPC CPUs around 2005? Did you ever wonder where they went? They mostly went into game consoles the way PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 all have some variant of a PowerPC chip inside PowerPC chips were never all that Uh
0: thank you Lydia
1: <laughs> You're welcome <laughs> Very nice <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, because
0: you know, some of us luddites, you know, Uh, don't have some miracle technology called a soundboard, Uh, we have to make do with another technology called an
1: air gap. An air gap. I'm sorry, I don't get that.
0: Well, because I play that through my speakers.
1: Oh, you didn't have uh, the...
0: I see what you're saying. (laughs) Yes, pretty much all of my XP shutdown sounds have been transmitted across the air gap.
1: Okay, I, I, I was... I, w- I would have assumed you would have. W- what I was actually expecting was you to not play that and then pretend like we played it and then play it after the show and patch it into audacity. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from that, that looks like uh,
0: that's about it here. Uh, we have no podcast feedback, which is surprising because, you know, uh, someone accidentally leaked the uh, the link into Hacker News at one point. And suddenly there is a Legion arriving and uh Ryan emails me saying, Hey, um, we got like seventy hits today. Like most of those, like crazy, most of those were on your landing page. So <laughs> so, so we um, may
1: have actually got listened to then, maybe.
0: Yes. Uh so if you uh got linked to uh from hacker news uh from wherever you are, uh Thank you for listening. So, so where's the Hacker News uh, page that linked to us? Um, I'll go ahead and dig that up from my email. Um, since I actually included that in the conversation with Ryan. So, uh, if you want to submit feedback, use the, uh, contact feature on the Nexus.tv. In fact, if you're looking at the show notes, you can see a, uh, con, uh, like contact us. Like, right below our faces on the side. And uh, do not forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day. So, just like uh, the guy that got his stuff stolen, you know, make sure to back up your data.
1: And then put it someplace else, other than where your computer is.
0: Yes, and uh, ideally encrypted as well. And uh, as as mentioned, uh, I have a backup 150 miles away from home. So... Uh, Special thanks again to Big Giant Circles. I guess that means I'm obliged to use something of his for the show. So, um, aside from that, um, I'm not exactly sure what I'll be doing this uh, coming week. Um, So, let's see, it was uh, last Friday that I uh, had uh, dinner with uh, Chris. Uh, You know, sort of a man-to-man talk about... You know, parents, jobs, and life. Um, so, but uh, last Friday was the last day for one of the guys at work. So we are now down to two software developers.
1: That's not many guys to go around when there's those bugs that have to be fixed right away. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so I guess my days of complaining that there's not much to do at work have pretty much gone away. Sounds like it. (laughs) So, which, I guess I'm okay with that. You know, it gives me, you know, some uh, brain work to do.
1: Mm -hmm. It makes the day go faster when you have something to do, for sure.
0: Yep. So, um, aside from that, that seems to be about it. How about you?
1: Well, then... Keep on keeping on? Yeah, keep on keeping on. Things go busy, things go slow at work might yep. be getting a bit busy time so it's good. <laughs> so,
0: um, let's see. I think I might want to throw Oh yeah, apparently I have to do something for the fringe number 200 now.
1: So, so, so what are we going to do for it?
0: Um I I've already written some simulated dialogue for that. Simulated dialogue. Is this with your UK voice? Uh no. Um, this will be... Well, now that you mention it, it will be just, like, little fragments and bits and pieces of that. Because with all the other fringes, uh, Ryan puts in at the beginning, This is the fringe. And, like, that's pretty much it for that. Uh, so, like, I will be simulating a conversation, making an artistic impression for the fringe. For, like, the opening bit for that. Okay. (laughs) So... Um, if you want something entertaining, uh, go ahead and listen to The Fringe. So, I guess that's it. So, uh, have a good one.
1: You too.